So, uh, you know, today's like the best day of the year. Uh, Easter Sunday is just such an incredible time when there's such, uh, such rejoicing in the victory that God has given us in Christ. And so we're going to focus on that today from the uh, standpoint of looking at the idea and the concept of freedom, uh, which is interesting because we've been spending the last couple of months looking at the idea of covenant. And covenant and freedom in God's mind go very much hand in hand. So the, the idea of covenant and freedom working together is something that in God's mind works, but in our minds, it doesn't. And you might be sort of like, well, I don't know about that. Well, that's just because you never thought about it. Um, so I'm inviting you to think about the idea of covenant together with me this morning and the concept of freedom and see what it is that God might teach us about what it means for Easter to be a day that we celebrate freedom in Christ. Um, maybe in a different way than we've thought of it, especially as Americans, where freedom pretty much means you get to do whatever you want. Freedom is equated with concepts like autonomy and independence, where, you know, I'm free to do what I want, to do what I want any old time, right? And uh, you can't tell me what I should do, except in certain occasions. And if you do, then you're not somebody I want to be around, um, because for you to limit my freedom is... uh, is offensive because we hold this concept of freedom so near and dear to our hearts. Well, frankly, so does God. Uh, the New Testament says that it is for the sake of freedom that God has set us free. But then this is also the God who calls us into covenant with himself and into covenant with one another. All of the relationships that you have in your whole life are based in the concept of covenant. Covenant are by nature binding. Covenants are are by nature binding. By definition, a covenant is binding. By definition, a covenant limits freedom. And you can think about this from a number of different perspectives. Justin, on Thursday night, he talked to us um, about God's covenantal relationship to us, the way that it grows and that it moves and that it changes, um, and the way that we engage God. It shifts according to where we are in our developmental processes with him. He looked at us, uh, Justin had us look at uh, Joshua chapter 4 and 5, where Israel goes into uh, their, their land that God has promised them. And when they get there, the way in which he had been interacting with them, it changes. He's still the same God. He still loves them to the same depth. He's still engaging them with the same heart. But he had been just, you know, like just feeding them. Just, he would just drop bread from heaven every day. They get to the promised land, and they celebrate the Passover in the promised land, and suddenly the manna completely stops. And what they have now is a land where they can grow grain. So the relationship has changed. The provision has not. It was interesting. I remember one time we had somebody come to Cornerstone here, and uh, he was um, looking for help with some of his um, uh, utility bills. And uh, we, at that point in time, um, it was we didn't have the benevolence uh, uh, account wasn't open at that point for us to like be investing into this. And plus, we're always trying to figure out how not to give a handout, how to give a hand up. Um, and this guy had more problems than the fact that he couldn't just pay his electric bill. Um, and so there was this uh, there was this thing that was there, and I was just like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Um, this isn't a place that's going to be wise for us to invest right now. Give me your uh, give me your number, and if something changes, I'll give you a call. Well, later that day, um, somebody in our congregation needed some help, um, and they were willing to pay 10 bucks an hour for it, uh, just like grunt labor. I think it was like moving brush and shrubs and that kind of a thing, and uh, just 
And so I was like, wow, that's interesting. Here's five hours of work for this guy. He can earn 50 bucks and he can, you know, help. Uh, and so I called him up and I said, hey, I found 50 bucks for you. And he goes, that's awesome. I'll be right down to get it. I was like, no, no, no. My buddy's going to meet you here at the church and you're going to go work for him. And you can help him throw like logs and shrubs and stuff into the back of his truck. And he was like, it was dead on the other end of the phone. He's like, guy goes, that's not what I had in mind. It's like, I, I know, but it's God's provision. He's going to be here at, at noon. If you want to come at noon and uh, do some work and, and, and earn 50 bucks, it's there for you. You know, so things changed from the way this guy had received it. Like in his mind, we were a church, and as a church, we help people. As a church, we do help people, right? And sometimes God calls us to give generously in that we give. Other times, though, the relationship is not the same. And God provided for this guy in a different way. That's the way covenants move and shift and, 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 uh, and that we engage them together. None of us is static and none of our relationships are static. But one thing that we like to remain static is the way that we think about ourselves. And when we think about freedom, we're not going to change. And if you offend my freedom, then that's a reason for me to think about you differently or, or to engage you differently. If you, if you offend my concept of what it means for me to be me the way I want to be me, then that's a major and serious problem. If you offend the expectations that I have of you in regard to our relationship, right? So you're a church. You're supposed to give me money because I'm in need. Well, how about you have work? Wow, that's a, diff- that's a different way of thinking about this covenantal relationship between me and thee. When you think about covenant and you think about freedom, these two things, they're actually in pretty strong opposition. Covenants are by nature binding. Easter is all about freedom, but we serve a God who, who engages our freedom through covenantal relationship, which means that our definitions of freedom need to fall so that his definitions of freedom can be put in place. Now, this is really important for us to understand because slavery is such a true concept for every one of us. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. The book of Isaiah for the ancient Jewish people is like, it's, it's the pinnacle of prophetic literature. Um, like when God talks to his people, the, the, the beauty and what is spoken in the book of Isaiah is at the top. And if you took all 66 book or all 66 chapters of Isaiah and you ranked them according to like importance or what it was that the Israelites most enjoyed, 61 would be on top of the list. This is a messianic prophecy. This is a prophecy of the Messiah, of Jesus, of the one who would be coming. And look at how he engages us, and look at how this prophecy engages who Jesus is and the action that he's going to perform. 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Poverty is slavery. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. Go ahead and try and mend your heart when it's broken. You are a slave to that emotion. You can numb it. You can anesthetize it. But until healing is brought to it, it doesn't go away. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Slavery to bondage. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's writing to a group of people here who are in exile, who don't experience God's favor at all. They are slaves to another nation 
They've been taken over and oppressed. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. How much does grief feel binding? How much does grief find you in a way that it just makes you captive to that emotion and that process? To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the way that the Messiah is coming. And who it is that he's seeking are people who are in bondage. The Messiah has come to bring freedom to people who are captive, emotionally captive, spiritually captive, physically captive. How much of a prison is it to be blind? And how much freedom is it to be given sight in that? Right, so, so this idea, this exchange that happens between us and Jesus is all about freedom. It's all about freedom. But the way that Jesus engages us is from a covenantal perspective, which means it's all about binding. It's all about a loss of freedom. And think about the covenants that govern your life, and you will see what it is we're talking about. All relationships bind. All relationships bind. All relationships limit freedom. Couples think that getting married will produce freedom for even deeper expressions of love, meaning, and happiness. But marriage, by definition, is limiting and restrictive. When you say, till death do us part, that's it, right? You are now limited in that relationship. When you say, two couples that exchange vows basically say, I'm going to really hurt you, and you're going to really hurt me. And we're going to stick it out together. And I'm going to be faithful to you in that. So that covenantal relationship is, is of deep, deep significance. And it's also very, very limiting. It is a very restrictive thing. Couples look across the fence at the single person and think, wow, I remember that kind of freedom. (laughs) Like, wouldn't that be nice? You know, I'm just like, get away for a few days. But oftentimes what's found on the other side of that fence isn't necessarily freedom. It's easy to lose hope in that place. It's easy to be lonely. And it's easy to have this, these two covenants that are seen and held in tension and be like, oh, I want that, I want that. But let's not. Like, let's just be truthful. There's some serious restriction on both sides of those fences. People often think that having children will on some level complete them and offer some kind of emotional completion, freedom, and investment. Children are extremely limiting and restrictive in, in a great way. You know what I mean? But you're not sleeping. Right? And, and your relationship to your wife or to your husband, it shifts when you have kids. And, and you're suddenly now got a whole new set of priorities and you're suddenly, like your money is quickly leaving. You know, it's sort of like, wow, this is a different way of thinking about, but it's also so life-giving. It's also so incredible. It's also so enjoyable and fun. Kids think that when they grow up, when they're able to drive, when they get a career, when they fall in love, that these things will bring freedom. But growing up binds you to responsibility. So take that car and use it irresponsibly and see what kind of covenant finds you then, right? 
get a career with a boss who has serious expectations and see what growing up feels like then. Did you ever realize the last thing kids want to do is take a nap? And all adults would kill to take a nap. <laughs> it's, what a strange and interesting limitation. It's, it's so interesting. If you have friends, hopefully you do, have you ever asked Ziri, Siri to divide zero by zero? Do it. It's hilarious. Don't do it now. <laughs> if you have friends, and hopefully you do, those friendships are binding. At least the ones that really matter are. Right? Relationships that you hold really near and dear to you. Friendships, I mean now. Like, those are binding. There's a certain concept of we're, we're in this together I have integrity, you have integrity, our relationship, it's covenantal in that we love each other, there's depth to it, there's honesty, there's reality, like we're not messing around with each other. If you have friends, then you are, that, that is a limiting and restrictive thing. You can't just go around betraying your friends. You can't say one thing and then talk about that person behind their back. That, oh, I have the freedom to do that, sure, but you're going to lose that friendship because you've broken the covenant that holds the friendship in place. It's extremely restrictive. The fact that you are alive and in relationship with other people means that your freedom is compromised. Do you understand that? You are not actually free, not if you want to have true life. The kind of freedom that American definitions of freedom bring is a prison. Autonomy, independence, stay away from me. You can't tell me what to do. You are bound. If you have purpose or calling in life greater than your bottom line, making money or paying the bills in order to get to the weekend and hopefully a nice vacation this summer, then you are bound to your purpose. You are bound to the creative process that is your calling. To not live in purposeful pursuit of the fulfillment of that is to live less than a whole person. You are bound to your purpose. You are limited by it. You cannot do everything. Not if you have calling. Not if you have a purpose for which you exist that's bigger than just, you know, money. All our notions of freedom, autonomy, and independence are illusory and fleeting. The freedom that we think of as freedom is an illusion. More than an illusion, it's a deception. Wouldn't it be great if there was a covenant that governed and ruled over all these other covenants and that actually imparted true freedom into all those covenants that we're actually bound to? Wouldn't it be cool if there was a covenant that we were bound to, that actually produced freedom, that was real freedom. Like, that's a paradoxical concept. But this is Jesus that we're talking about, who specializes in paradoxes. What if true freedom isn't autonomy with no, restri autonomy with no restrictions, but rather, what if true freedom is simply a better covenant to govern and align all of our other covenants with? The alternative is universal, and it is destructively so, because you are bound to something. We are slaves to sin. We are slaves to our brokenness and our inability to make those things right. right? This is the story of the Bible. The story of the scriptures is this concept of we, we are slaves to something, either something we create ourselves or something that finds us in the midst of our brokenness. This is what Isaiah 61 is talking about. Like what it is that binds people is what it is that Jesus has come to release them from, but not release from so that they can just, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want. 
but rather being bound to something better. Like, who wants to live for themselves? Why, why would we want to live for ourselves? I'll tell you why. Because we've been hurt. Because we've been broken. Because we've both hurt ourselves and been hurt by other people who are also hurt and broken. And all our hurt and brokenness finds each other. And then our covenants rub up against each other. And when there isn't something that's a better covenant to govern those things, those covenants go bam, pow, and suddenly things are exploding in our faces. And people that we thought we could trust, we can't. And it's sort of like, what's going on here? Is there no safe place? Folks, look me in the face. There is no safe place. People talk about this all the time. I wish I had a safe place to talk. You're a really safe person. No, you're not. I like it here because I'm safe. No, you're not. There is one safe place that you have, and it is with Christ. And there is no other place that is safe. Every relationship can hurt you. And that's the beauty of the covenant that is Jesus. Is that he makes taking those risks worth it. Because his covenant trumps our covenants. His his covenant brings alignment to our covenants. So that what it is that wants to enslave us is instead something that submits to his victory. And then we stand in him, aligning ourselves with him, and suddenly our relationship to him becomes what it is that we live from in regard to everyone else. And sin and brokenness and hurt, these are all still realities. But they don't have to be powerful. They can still be there, and we can still be aware of them, and we can still even walk in that brokenness and hurt sometimes. But the story of Jesus is what we just read in Isaiah 61, that he comes to set people free. And that freedom is found in him. Not freedom in that I get to do whatever I want, but freedom in the fact that we are bound to a better covenant in him. This is the story of the people of God. Eve was a slave to deception. Adam was a slave to his wife. Cain was a slave to comparisons. Noah was a slave to liquor. Abraham was a slave to fear. Hagar was a slave to not being seen. Sarah was a slave to unbelief. Isaac was a slave to impotent fathering. Jacob was a slave to manipulation. Esau was a slave to rage. Moses was slave to the sins of a million former slaves. Joshua was slave to a people who were actively forgetting God. Ruth was a slave to fear of never again being wanted. Deborah was a slave to a weak man. Samson was a slave to his passions. Samuel was a slave to human government instead of God's government. Saul was a slave to feeling small. David was a slave to shame. Solomon was a slave to women. Ahab was a slave to weakness. Jezebel was a slave to control. Elijah was a slave to fear. Elisha was a slave to stubbornness. The prophets were slaves to the people to whom they were called. Esther was slave to the will of a godless king. Ezra was slave to a people who did not know God's teaching. Nehemiah was a slave to mockery. Jonah was a slave to hate. Matthew was a slave to disdain. Peter was a slave to impulsivity. James and John were slaves to ambition. Martha was a slave to busyness. Lazarus was a slave to death. Judas was a slave to money. Pilate was a slave to fear of man. Saul was slave to a persecutory system of dead religion. Paul was a slave to his mission. Timothy was slave to timidity and his own youthfulness. Philemon was a slave. The church of Rome 
was a slave to the insane emperor Nero. The church of Corinth was slave to division. The church of Galatia was slave to legalism. The church of Ephesus was slave to performance. The church of Philippi was slave to poverty. The church of Colossae was slave to ritualism. The church of Thessalonica was slave to despair. The church of Crete was slave to a bad reputation. The church of Jerusalem was slave to the law of sin and death. The church of Smyrna was slave to the synagogue of Satan. The church of Pergamum was slave to false teaching. The church of Thyatira was slave to fear. The church of Sardis was slave to having an illusion of life, but in reality they were dead. The church of Philadelphia was slave to continual hardship. And Chip Kelly. The church of... (laughs) That that just came to me. I was inspiration in the moment right there. The church of Laodicea was slave to entitlement and vanity. John was slave to banishment and nightmares. If you didn't find yourself in that story, then you're not alive. If you didn't hear your own brokenness and hurt in there somewhere, then you're just not being realistic with yourself. This is your story. You are in this book. And hurt and brokenness and slavery has found you. This is the reality of all humanity. This is who we are. And every one of these comes by virtue of the fact that relationships exist in those places, that there are covenants that are binding people to the wrong kinds of things, fear, sin, hurt, brokenness, all the ways that it finds us, in all the different creative avenues that it comes. And Jesus comes to give freedom from those things. Because while all of those covenants that we are bound to find us and damage us, and we damage others in those places... What Jesus comes bringing is a new covenant, a better covenant. Next slide, please, Gene. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we see God speak this better and governing covenant, something that redeems all of our other covenants. God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Let's read this together. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. This is a place of belonging. You see that? This is a place of love. This is a place where God, who does not hurt, where God who is not broken, where God who does not know sin, where God whose relationship to us is perfectly governed in every way, takes all of that love, all of that goodness, all of that life, and he puts it in our minds. And then that information travels that important 18 inches, and he writes it on the deepest places of who we are. And suddenly this new covenant that makes us new creations is now what it is that we live by in regard to everyone else that we're bound to. So that we can actually be free by being bound to his covenant. 
This is true life in Christ. This is what all of these people who I just read and talked about and all of the things that they found themselves in and all the things that we also identify with in their stories. All of these people received freedom. Eve and Adam and Noah and Abraham and Hagar and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Moses and Joshua, Ruth, Deborah, Samson, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, the prophets, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jonah, Matthew, Peter, James and John. Martha, Lazarus, Paul, Timothy, Philemon, all the churches of the New Testament that we talked about, and each and every one of you are offered the exact same thing through the covenant that is this new covenant in Christ. So that when Jesus, as we heard earlier in Luke chapter 4, he goes to the synagogue for the reading, and a rabbi reads, and he gives him the scroll, and he's standing, and he reads the scroll. And when you read the Old Testament in a synagogue, you read forever. It's like half an hour of reading. And, and it just, there it is. Jesus reads four verses. And you know what he reads? Isaiah 61. I have come to bring liberty to the captives. I have come to, to mend the brokenhearted. I have come to give sight to the blind. I have come, what he's saying, to bring freedom, true freedom. Then he stops after four verses. He gives the scroll back and he sits down. And he says to everybody, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Why? Because the Messiah has come. Jesus is there. And the people freak out. Did you hear what he just said? And he says it again today. Because the new covenant in Christ is, it is an invitation to true freedom. And the reason why is Easter. The reason why is because of today. God alone, listen closely, God alone is truly free. You are not free. You and I are bound. We are bound inappropriately, and appropriately. God himself is truly free. And in his freedom, do you know what he chooses to do? He chooses to bind himself to his people. The one who could say enough of all of this, who could have said it at the very beginning, chooses not to. Our God is so powerfully free that he chose to create the universe just because he wanted to. Because it pleased him. He is a God so powerfully free that in the place of our fall, which brought for us immediate death, and for him, immediate offense, he immediately speaks redemption and life. He is a God so powerfully free that he trumps judgment with mercy. A God so powerfully free, he is continually extending his covenantal invitation to we, his people, who continually go astray. A God so powerfully free that his heart, is to be among his people, dwelling with us in the midst of all of our sin and brokenness and offering us more, not judging us from a distance, but coming and being with us. A God so powerfully free that he refuses to allow the ones that he loves, us, to pursue lesser loves, that is, idols. A God so powerfully free that to take on the limitations of humanity was not threatening to who he was. 
A God so powerfully free that to be misunderstood was not a place of insecurity. A God so powerfully free that to be threatened did not require threats in return. A God so powerfully free that the greatest empire the world had seen to that point could not trump the power of his love, grace, and truth. A God so powerfully free that money meant nothing to him. A God so powerfully free that he chose the B team as his followers and then changed the world through them. A God so powerfully free, the the sharpest human intellect is as foolishness to his wisdom. A God so powerfully free that wrestling with his father was not disrespectful, but empowering. A God so powerfully free that he was fully in control of his own suffering and death while it was happening. A God so powerfully free that he spoke forgiveness toward those who were torturing and murdering him. A God so powerfully free that he rose from the dead, forever conquering sin, death, and the grave in full victory over that singular thing that we are all slaves to because you will die. And he died and then conquered the thing that killed him. And he lives forever. He's a God so powerfully free that today he offers this same victory to you to claim as your own in him. A victory over uh, over the slavery of sin, death, and the grave that he won, that's actually yours in him. His freedom is your freedom. Did you hear that? His freedom is your freedom. The covenant to which he binds you is a covenant of freedom over all of the things that would enslave you and manipulate you and destroy you. And only he can bring this because only he is truly free. And it is for the sake of his truest freedom that we are offered that freedom. And that is what it means to be set free for the sake of freedom. Because when we are set free into his freedom, that means his freedom grows and expands and becomes larger and more glory is given to who he is. And why would we not want to give him more glory? He's the one that gives us the freedom. But we go down and we play in the mud and we like to take, you know, like crap and like shove it on our faces and see the sin. Hey, here I am in all my nastiness and brokenness and insanity. Oh, listen, it's terrible. But Jesus says, no, get up, stand up. Come on, throw your hands up. Who knew House of Pain was a worship band? (laughs) And receive freedom in Christ. This is who he is, but we are down in the trenches, in the sewage, in the nastiness of all of our brokenness and hurt, and we sit there. Why would we do that? When what he offers is so true, and our definitions of freedom are in that junk. And what he calls us to is cleansing and life and victory and love and goodness that is only aligned with him and in who he is. And it is true and it is real because Easter is true and real. And without the victory of the resurrection, there is no freedom for anyone. But Jesus is alive. And he is forever set apart as the one true God who can bring you the true freedom, that thing that you actually want. Apart from all the things and all the covenants that are seeking to destroy. What you think and say you want is actually real. You hear that? What you think and say you want is actually real. There's no person here who wants to be enslaved. But it is only real 
in Christ. His new covenant is a covenant that is within an untouchable spiritual reality of freedom, grace, intimacy, goodness, justice, mercy, growth, and joy, where his law is written on your heart and what you are bound to is trust and obedience to his heart that is now written on your heart through his covenant of grace and mercy. And that is why today, on Easter Sunday, we come together and we remember what it is for us to be covenantally purchased, what it is for us to be covenantally bound to Christ. When we come to communion here in a couple of minutes, we are joining with saints all across the world right now and all down through history and all time. And and to all of us, Jesus says this same thing. Take and eat my body, this body that is broken for you. This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Take it as often as you do in remembrance of me, in embodiment of me. As much as we eat and drink this, we declare, we declare his death. In a few minutes, we're going to partake in the most joyful of sacraments through baptism. And in communion, we see the death of Jesus embodied. And in baptism, we see the resurrection of Jesus embodied. This is the story of the people of God, a people who are truly free. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for who we are in Christ. Thank you, God, for the true freedom that you give us in Christ. That the slavery and the bondage that we experience together is a slavery and bondage that has been forever defeated, that sin, death, and the grave have been vanquished by Jesus. And that every person here, in all of our covenants, in all of our relationships, we need you. We need your freedom. We need a better covenant. One that brings us true freedom in the place of our illusions of freedom. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. And as we embody and remember these things through these sacraments of communion and of baptism, we declare your death. We declare your resurrection. We declare the freedom that is Christ. For each person this morning, God, awaken our spirits, awaken our hearts, awaken our minds to the reality that we have in Christ of a better covenant that is true freedom. We love you, God. We thank you. We worship you. Thank you for this day for this victory, for this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Cornerstone, we sing while we go through the process of communion. There will be two tables, one on each side here, and you can just form lines whenever you're ready as we, uh, as we sing.
and come, you can tear a piece of bread off, dip it in the juice, stand to the side, return to your seat, uh, whatever you want. Uh, we invite all to the table, followers of Jesus, as we remember and engage him together and think about what it means for us to know him. We encourage you to consider deeply in your mind and in your heart what it means for you to be aligned with God in this process and in this time, what it means for you to, in deep, true freedom and reality, know Christ and to be aligned with who he is, standing under and in his freedom as we take together. Let's stand for the benediction. Let's take a posture of receiving with our hands up. And after the benediction, we're going to sing the doxology and end with a time of gratitude to the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for the uh, these deep embodiments and pictures of the Eucharist, of uh, baptism, of the covenantal love of our God that is true freedom. Thank you for the victory that you have purchased for us forever and ever, over sin, death, and the grave. And we stand in that victory today, and we stand in your freedom. So may you, my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, on this Easter Sunday, may you receive deeply, deeply in your minds, hearts, and spirits the victory of God that has purchased your freedom. And may you live truly free. Praise God from...